Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me each week as we explore the minds of living composers. We talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Matthew Lionhazard. Matt is a Filipino-American composer, conductor, singer, and educator. His compositions have won many awards over the years, including the grand prize in the 18th Street Singers 10th Anniversary Composition Competition, the 2017 ACDA Raymond W. Brock Student Composition Competition, and he was the inaugural winner of the Stephen Paulus Emerging Composer Competition. Composition Competition. It's a lot of composition competitions. <laughs> Matt earned his BA and MAT in music composition from East Carolina University and an MM in choral conducting from the Bob Cole Conservatory at California State University, Long Beach. Matt Hazard, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you so much for having me. So one thing I didn't mention in your bio is that you are currently working on a DMA at the University of Houston and have just passed your comprehensive exams to become ABD. First of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> so uh, I know. Thank you. I'm yeah, I know from personal experience what a huge step that is. Secondly, <laughs> can we get a brief glimpse into what your proposed dissertation topic is? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, it's becoming my coming my world. Yeah, clearly, but uh, it's on uh, Eric Whitaker's The Sacred Veil. Okay. Um, a narrative analysis of how he tells a story. It's pretty surprising. There's not a lot of scholarship on uh, his works after 2004. Like there's like a little bit in 2009 uh, with his Knox Arm Coin, but no one has really written on uh, Eric for the past, his music from the past two decades. And so uh -huh. I was like, oh, well, let me step in. So it seems like the perfect thing. Fabulous. My, my partner had, uh, had um, uh, John Talberg at Cal State Long Beach. He had, uh, performed the piece, um, I believe and it was Utah, right before everything got shut down with a, the pandemic. Uh -huh. um, so it was just like, oh, well, it was kind of like our, just like the perfect time to do it. So anyways. Nice, nice. I will, we'll look forward to that scholarship. Uh, and for <laughs> listeners, if you want to listen to my interview with Eric Whitaker, that was from season four, go back and take, take a listen to that as well. So Matt, you're still a fairly young composer. And yet you've already made a, a large mark on the choral world. So when did you start writing music? Wow. I mean, well, that's kind of humbling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate that. The, um, like, I, I guess, like, I've just been doing my thing and I, I turn around and it's like, oh, yeah, there's, there's been a few things, but I don't know if I <laughs> necessarily made a mark. But I mean, for you to say that is really generous. Um, uh, what got me into composing? Um, was that the question? Just want to. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. When did you start? Were you yeah, writing from um, a very young age or? Yeah, I always noodled around the piano when I was young. I took piano lessons when I was uh, a wee babe and I didn't retain any of them. I'm terrible <laughs> at piano, <laughs> it's, but uh, I get by. And um, uh, I did a lot of songwriting when I was in high school, like, you know, noodling on uh, the guitar or uh, playing on piano, lots of singer songwriter stuff and uh, electronic music. But um, I was always a choral geek ever since um, I lived in the Philippines for a couple of years mm -hmm. uh, when I was seven and eight. And uh, every Sunday we had mass at the country club because I, I, I just find that like hilarious and delightful uh, <laughs> that we have. We, it's just a very Catholic Catholic uh, community and it's like oh yeah let's go you know like attend mass and then play golf I guess <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we, uh, anytime we were there we uh, had like a, basically song lyrics it was very karaoke style like anyone who wanted to sing could sit with choir and the choir was good like everyone could sing and so I'd sit next to my uncle and and we'd uh, we'd sing um, while the lyrics scrolled up on that head the the, the projector and um, ever since then, I'd just been, I'd been nuts about singing. And I never wrote for choir, but I did write a lot um, of stuff on finale. So mm -hmm. just like for the, you know, the fun dinky midi, yeah. <laughs> it's the best. And so I, I didn't really start until my first year of college. I was at uh, ECU with uh, uh, Daniel Barra, 
um, who okay. now teaches at UGA. And he had this great, this amazing idea, which I can't wait to, you know, totally implement myself one day, uh, should, be, I, should I be in the position, uh, which is uh, this idea of choral scholars, which was his, his uh, graduate student uh, working ensemble. Okay. So like the project choir, they uh, would perform a concert every year of nothing but student works. And so you get to submit your, your music to Dan and he would uh, choose the very best or like, you know, uh, depending on the demand. And I was ecstatic by that. And each grad student would choose a piece or get a piece that they would have to conduct. And so that was my first experience having a, a, a piece performed. It was delightful juvenilia, um, but I, I loved it. I, Ever since that that moment, I've I've never looked back. I realized that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's great to have mentors that'll give you those opportunities. Oh yeah. So thinking back, what's one of your earliest musical memories that you can remember? Earliest musical memories? Well, I guess I uh, specifically to choir or just... no, just in general. What's the earliest musical thing you can remember in your life? Oh, I'm, this is gonna make me tear up a bit. Like uh, my mom singing to me every morning uh-huh. like like ever since I was I was you know a baby like just walking in and her singing good morning good morning <laughs> it's nice and so that that comes to mind immediately yeah. oh, that's nice. singing in the rain is a great place to start your life <laughs> <laughs> that's so, true. so did you always plan on becoming a composer or did you have other aspirations when you're growing up um, I, when I was in high school, I really, I mean, I, I'm trying to put this in the most diplomatic way possible. <laughs> I, I was definitely from a family where it's like, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, like, you know, like uh-huh. that kind of like these solid foundational, like, like high paying jobs, you'll, you'll do that, you'll be okay. And like that kind of familial pressure. But, um, uh, I, in high school, I realized that I just didn't want choir to ever end. I just wanted to go, can I just sing choir for the rest of my life? And so <laughs> I tried to, <laughs> so I told my mom I was going to go into music and um, uh, she made sure that I went all the way through. I had initially started as a music education major, but what I really wanted to do was music composition because I really loved writing. I mean, I was, I was doing it, but it felt like that I was taking that massive first step to actually writing for choir. And so I, around my second year, yeah, my second year, I was a music composition major and it beat the ever living smack out of me. I was very, (laughs) very humbled. I just wasn't used to like, you know, like being told what to do and how to do it. And, you know, this whole thing called learning. (laughs) I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready to learn that way. And uh, so I was, I, came back that summer pretty bruised and nursing my ego. And, and I asked my mom, like, I, I don't know if I did the right thing. I don't know exactly what I wanted. And she said, nope, you chose this. You're going to finish it. So you better figure it out. And I'm like, <laughs> Good yeah, mom. Yes. Um, but uh, I, it made me ask, what do I really want to do with my life? And I just realized that the one thing that always made me happy was choir, uh-huh. specifically choir. Like if I could just sing it, or conduct it or write for it or do anything related to choir for the rest of my life, I would be happy. So that was when that kind of locked into place. And here we are. <laughs> cool. Well, it sounds like you and I need to hang out more because I'm in the right the same boat. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to go back to your music education, though, because before uh, pursuing a master's degree, you taught high school for four years. Uh, and I know that you've recently accepted a position as an adjunct professor at Fullerton College. Yeah. So how do you keep choral music alive and relevant to today's students? Um, Put on your music educator hat. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I was doing so many job applications where you're literally answering that exact same <laughs> question and in so many different ways. But um, in terms of relevancy, I think everyone has a human desire for community, for support, uh, to make art. Everyone, especially like in, in college, uh, a community college, you get every single walk of life and you get them all at different 
states of and, and involvements with choral music. Some of them it's their first time and they just want to learn how to sing. Others are, you know, they're preparing to transfer to a university and need to learn how to sight read. Um, but there's all, I, I think it's like kind of two clumps. There's like the the professional side of it, which is like, you know, those those kinds of solid goals of like, I want to get better at X or Y. And then there's the human side of it, which is like, this feeds the soul. Um, I'm totally preaching to the choir here, but <laughs> it's, it's just like, no one's ever made that joke. I'm the first, I'm so I'm glad sorry. to be uh, that. It just encourages empathy. It encourages community. And one of the things that I think uh, any student, actually, I, I just think this is people in general, people need community and it's really hard to sustain community, especially after the pandemic. None mm -hmm. of us, all of our social muscles have atrophied. They, they need like the craziest workout and it's been like a whirlwind of a year, like reacclimating to talking to people, again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like true. not in not in like uh beautiful windows like we are now but this is right <laughs> uh, like which is a gift i mean like the future is so cool but the the heart of the matter is that there's nothing like making music with um the person right beside you yeah. and i could go on and on about all the the positive impacts that it has i mean like we all know that it encourages empathy that it develops teamwork it develops anything, but just as long as, just as much as people will listen to music and just as much as people will participate in any kind of community, sport, art, anything, like people want, it'll, it'll always be relevant. And so that's, people want to do it. So that's, I hope that answers the question. I uh, know that was, that was perfect. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you specifically mentioned in your bio that you're a Filipino American. So do you see any particular influence on your compositions from your Filipino heritage? Um, I not I don't think in the in the way that um, might be implied or, or like implicit in, mm -hmm. in, in that. Like it's definitely influenced in that like I lived my life as, you know, like like a, a little short well-tanned boy and, <laughs> and and like you know uh lived in the philippines for a bit and like had i've i've definitely been raised in in um a catholic filipino household and that's like informed a part of my soul but uh as far as like how that comes out in me it just just like any kind of music that i write is implicitly me i think that's that's yeah. what yeah that's um, great yeah, I think that's how the heritage is shown. I think it's really in those those like those little memories of like, oh, I fell in love with music and really singing through my mom, through my right. family, through through the Catholic mass at the country club, and uh, it's it's kind of shown its own way. I haven't been uh, influenced necessarily by folk, uh, not in the same way that I have um, with. Uh, I don't know. I guess Radiohead and Bjork and, and, <laughs> nice. and video game music that I feel like really gets in there. But uh, okay, yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your sound. So one of the quotes about you by 18th Street Singers says that you're known for creating stunning la landscapes of sound. So how do you go about creating a landscape of sound? That isn't that like the coolest quote? I, <laughs> I felt like when I read that, I was like, "Oh, me, <laughs> stunning <host." laughs> uh, No, I, I, um, I have a, a, a great friend, uh, Michael Martin, who was the DCA at uh, at um, uh, Methodist University in Fayetteville, North Carolina. At, like we would collaborate all the time. We, I would bring my students out there, and he was such a cheerleader, a supporter of my music and of, of me as an educator. Like really, just a great mentor. And one of the things as he was doing my music is that he said that the great challenge to anything that he's done by me, or by me, is how much it demands breath support, and uh, like a true skill because the sound is constant. And I. Mm -hmm. I, I never realized that about my music until he said that, like, and, and that was pretty early on, really, like, I mean, I feel like the bulk of my expression as a composer has really been 
ever since I went into grad school. So like for the past five years, I feel like my music has really kind of become uh, what, what I wanted or like uh -huh. it, it feels authentic to me, but I digress. The, um, I guess that stunning landscape of sound that still makes me like <laughs> is it's, it's just from, I think it's a, what, what people used to call impressionism <laughs> or I guess uh -huh. still call impressionism, which is I I'm painting a picture. Um, you can see like, <laughs> these are all paintings. Some of, some of them are mine. That's me with the papaya guitar. And then uh, some of them like Bernstein is my, my, uh, yeah, for those that, that can't see Matt, he's pointing to paintings that they're hanging on his wall behind him. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the room is a huge gallery and, and um, uh, my mom was a, well, a decorative artist and a portrait artist when I was growing up and we would paint and, and uh, listen to, uh, listen to Debussy. Like she loved, mm. loved Debussy, um, loved Ravel. And so all of that kind of just like really beautiful pictures given sound. It's that I feel is just, um, that's a part of me. Like anytime I write, I, I feel like it's almost like painting. It's like, I, I want to see something, I want to feel something. And it could be an image. Um, it could also be an experience and it can also be an emotion. So uh, I feel like anytime I write, I'm like really giving myself um, the opportunity to really connect deeply with that emotion. Like it's, it's, very, it's very therapeutic in that way. Yeah. Well, I think we will definitely hear some of these landscapes in the pieces that we listen to in the second half of the show here. So what is something that most people wouldn't know about your musical tastes? Like, are you a big like country Western fan or into heavy metal? Or <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I think, I think maybe the, the, maybe not necessarily surprised, but I'm a huge video game nerd. Oh, like, yeah? I love video games and video game music, especially. Um, and it's funny, like there's so many times that I've written something and then after like the piece is written, I'll look back and I'll, I'll note that like, wait, this is from this or this is from that. And it actually happened with a, uh, one of the songs that I, I, I got to share with you, The Prow. Uh -huh. um, it has like these dolphins that are playing in, in uh, the wake of a boat, like literal four soloists going, and like that sequence, was actually like, you know, it's just like a, I believe like uh, certain major seven chords or something like that. Um, <laughs> I only have my degree in music theory. <laughs> like, I should know this, but I, I don't really think that way very often. Uh, but like those, those chords actually are from uh, this game called Donkey Kong Country. Are you a video oh. gamer by chance? No, I'm not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's I, I know who Donkey Kong is. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it's on like Donkey Kong. Um, like I didn't realize it at the time, but like I started like thinking about it, and I was like, "That's definitely aquatic ambience." It's written by um, David Wise, who's uh, incredible, incredible uh, video game composer, very atmospheric, and and so I guess when I thought water and dolphins, like I thought specifically uh -huh. of those underwater levels and this really beautiful music, and so. You can find tons of videos online of just like video game music, like whole playlists. Like uh -huh. it is, it is gorgeous. Like total mood music uh, to the nth degree. So uh, yeah. that really resonates. With we've, we've come a long way since Super Mario Brothers. In <laughs> <music>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So I got one more question for you before you take a quick break. Uh, who is another living composer that you think we should all go check out? Jake Runnestad. <laughs> Jake Runnestad. Okay. He's, he's always the one which comes comes to mind um, just any time that I listen to Come to the Woods or or actually any number of his pieces. I feel like it's great music to cry to, like uh, just like his music just like takes your heart like and crushes it in the best, most beautiful way possible. It's it's really I'm, I'm definitely a fan of like sad emotional overwhelming music and and also joyous music like his yeah 
I feel like with Come to the Woods, it was the first time where like at the end of a choral piece, I cried tears of joy, just mm. like the first time I listened to it. Like just when he, you go through this entire journey of John Muir on the top of trees and it's so vivid. It's like, you're there. And then like, he has this quiet moment where it's like, come to the woods for here is rest and you're just like why am i crying <laughs> this is so um, i'm sure so like uh i'm sure so many have um heard his music already i'm sorry not to like offer like new composer uh, no that's fantastic i just want to know what what's on your playlist at the moment uh and and listeners i do recommend going back to the beginning of season two when i interviewed jack uh interviewed jake yeah all right <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to listen to some of Matt's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Matthew Lyon Hazard. So, Matt, we're going to start today with The Prow, which you mentioned uh, in the previous segment. So this piece is for SATB Choir and Piano. It's from a larger work called The Oceans Between Us. So this seems to be an interesting commission since the commissioner, Jonathan Talberg, is not only the conductor of the premier performance, but also the poet. So tell us a little bit about the oceans between us and then a little bit about the prow in particular. Yeah. Uh, so, oh man, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a sad story. I'll warn you. Um, but with a very happy ending. Um, but uh, when I first arrived at Cal state long beach, um, I was studying, uh, studying with John at the time and he um, was such a champion of my music like he knew that I wrote and um uh I believe there was a it was a, a competition that I had won that I had first brought to a conducting lesson because I just needed advice I need another year I needed uh eyes and he gave such amazing advice and from there like we started a, a a collaborative relationship like he um was like started performing my music and wanted to do this um ocean concert this ocean theme concert we were going to put on this concert in um the aquarium in long beach and uh like in front of like the like all the fishes like just singing choral music so cool it was such a cool venue um and so we wanted to commission a piece uh, about the sea um and he planned on um uh performing as is the Sea Marvelous, which is that piece that the 18th Street singers were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and they're very, <laughs> they're very <laughs> generous. <laughs> oh man, they're awesome. Um, but uh, in any case, they, we were going to write this, this music. And so we had it outlined, we had it prepared. He was finding texts, but um, you know, throughout all of this, like John and I like developed a really fast friendship and, and, he had shared his poetry with me and he, he was very like quite secretive about his poetry, but I was so in like just overtaken, overwhelmed by like his words. I, I was like more, I want more. And so uh, he had been trying to find poems and I was like, why not write your own? You should write the text and I'll, I'll set it. So we made that plan. Um, and I believe it was a month later, it was March of 2018 um his dad passed away mm. and um yeah al had amazing full lived a full life um and uh john had written a series of poems the ocean poems it's a set of seven poems each one addressed to a different person um but all a reflection of of grief after after his dad's passing and he gave it to me in May. And uh, before I even looked at it a week later, my dad died. Oh, and, sorry. Uh, thank you. It's still like even it's, it's been four, four or five years, but it's still, it's still hard every single time to talk about it. But um, he, when I, I went to Idaho and I, to, you know, wrap things up, um, and I came back and the very first thing that I looked at was, were those poems. And I found, it was like pieces of myself um, in those poems. Like I found uh, the first one that I read 
which described exactly how I felt was this poem called There Is No Sea, which is actually a reference to uh, Todd Boss's poem, um, And So I Go On, which Jake set and uh, was written for um, John's uh, deceased partner. Um, so like, it, it was like this intricate web, as you can see, but in that moment, like it, it was just like three lines, very simple. I would read them right now, but I would start crying. So, <laughs> so I won't, but like it, it just, it just described exactly what grief was like to me. It didn't say, actually, it didn't really say anything about grief. It didn't describe it. It just kind of puts in really simple terms, like the magnitude sure. of, of it. And so, so how does, how does the prow fit in? It's, well, uh, after setting that text and like really experiencing grief, I felt like setting the ocean between us was like connecting with um, different, like just reconnecting with joy. So I had, I had, oh my gosh, I was such a silly goose. I totally had set up this massive month long excursion where I was going to visit all these people I love all across the US. And I had, I had done that before I got the news about my dad and then, uh, you know, it had only been a month and then I had to go and surround myself with people, which was the last thing I wanted to do. But at the same time, it was probably the best possible thing I could have possibly done. And uh, I was in Duluth um, with um, some choir friends up there. And uh, there's this gorgeous view of, um, of the lake, uh, Lake Superior, I think. <laughs> and, um, and I started writing The Prow because uh, I kept on looking at the poems. I'd, I'm a real optimist and I'm not okay with, even though I love experiencing sorrow, I'm not okay with being down. I'm not okay, like joy is so part of who I am. So mm -hmm. I was like, how do I reconnect with this? So I chose the happiest poem in John's set, which was The Prow, which is just describing his, uh, his choir mentor's maiden voyage uh, of like, his boat uh, that John got to be on. And as they were sailing it out, dolphins started playing in their wake. And it's just such an enchanting and entrancing image. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I started setting that. And uh, I felt like throughout the course of it, I steadily rediscovered joy, like just mm. granting myself permission to feel it again. That's um, fabulous. We're going to listen to The Prow here performed by the Bob Cole Chamber Choir at California State University, Long Beach, with John and Jonathan Talberg conducting.
All right. The next piece today is When We Are Gone for Double Choir. Uh, this also has text from Jonathan Talberg. Uh, would you mind if I read this poem? Please. Okay. When we're gone 10,000 years and waves still break gloriously on this radiant sand, gulls soaring, winds howling, mist spraying or the port, only then will we know if our lives rang true when you and I tumbled together amidst all of this blue. So I think the idea of living a fulfilling life is a quest for most people. So tell me sort of what you were thinking as you wrote this piece. Oh, I was thinking about, I was thinking about love. After I had uh, finished my, my studies with John, our friendship by this point, like we had grieved together, we had mourned together, we had written these, these incredibly personal pieces reflecting on life and death and, and everything in between. And um, after, you know, after he was no longer my teacher, like it just felt like our relationship had taken this next step um, that we both wanted to take um, mm. because it was for the first time I was like, oh, I can finally, I'm finally feeling this feeling that everyone's been talking about. And it's, it's a whole long story um, with many twists and turns, but eventually I sat down I looked at this poem and it was at the very beginning of our relationship and <laughs> I, I wrote it and it to me it sounds like it just sounds like love so forgive nice. me I'm getting, getting a little teary just thinking about it <laughs> yeah. well, that was a beautiful story thank you all right we're going to listen now to when we are gone here performed again by the bob cole chamber choir
All right, so our third piece today is flight. Uh, this is for divided mixed chorus. This seems to be an example of one of your landscapes of sound. Uh, lots of ascending lines and soaring upper voices give the feeling of flight. So what sort of flight was in your mind as you wrote this? Birds, planes, Superman? What was there? <laughs> uh, IH to LAX. It was okay. exactly uh, what I, what I had, um, called the poem when I wrote it. So uh, when John and I started our relationship, I immediately dove into doctoral studies in University of Houston, and I had to fly. Like we flew constantly to see each other, like doing long distance. And at first we thought, okay, maybe like once every month or once every two months or something. Quickly realized, no, I wasn't gonna fly. Let's, let's try for three weeks. And so um, I rapidly became a um, premier member with United. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, I, yeah, definitely, definitely spent a sizable amount of income on flights. And so um, it was all about uh, reconnecting. And uh, when I first originally wrote it, it was for uh, it was for Ethan Sperry and uh, Portland State University, and they uh, he had specifically wanted a piece that he could teach um, his now size restricted um, choir sections mm -hmm. uh, because of the pandemic, uh, like the so like he could only have I believe. 16 singers per choir and so what he wanted to do was like oh what if we did an antiphonal piece so like a double choir piece so they could learn it separately and then come together and beyond the theme of reconnecting i mean it's all it's ever on everyone's minds and so i started writing it and it was originally for double choir um but uh before i knew it it got more and more and more interwoven and uh i think there's some pretty clear like times where it's totally double choir like antiphonal but there's uh, a lot of times where it's not <laughs> so so but I chose the theme of uh of flight because it was exactly what I was experiencing was yeah. flying to see John like I think of reconnection and I think of like that kind of anxiety that anxious uh like uh excitement to see someone after a long time apart and so that was the very first one that that, I mean, it just came to my mind. And I don't typically write my own text. I, I've tried in the past. I don't think they were successful, but <laughs> this time I, the music was coming so fast and I felt like I had the words to say and I knew what I wanted to say. And so I, I gave my shot. <laughs> All right, well, you know, that that's great with the sort of antiphonal choir connecting in those spots. I think that's exactly what you were shooting for. All right, well, we're going to listen to Flight here performed by the Portland State Chamber Choir with Ethan Sperry conducting. And by the way, we had Ethan Sperry on this program just about a month ago. So here we go.
All right, our last piece today, So Much to Seek. This is another piece from The Oceans Between Us. Uh, this has a much more, I don't know, energetic feel than the prow that we listened to earlier. So what aspect of the ocean were you trying to capture in this? Um, not at all. <laughs> okay. Not at all an ocean, really. Um, well, uh, uh, specifically, it was a canyon. Uh, oh, okay. On... Yeah. So going back to that story of like the ocean between us, the, mm -hmm. the ocean, the proverbial ocean can describe the ocean standing between, you know, us and our loved ones, which, you know, me and my dad or John and his dad or um, me and, and ourselves, like, you know, uh, who we were and who we want to be and, and where and we're stranded, um, especially per like particularly in relation to grief. And um, at this point, I was nearing the end of, of my, um, it was nearing the end of summer and, and we were getting ready to start performing the piece and I knew exactly what I wanted to set. I wanted to set so much to see and to seek. Um, but before I could, my, my friend wanted to bring me out to Las Vegas, you know, just a final hurrah. He, he had graduated uh, with his master's in voice at Cal State Long Beach. And he, like, I was like, you know, at the end of my rope after a month of socializing and still well in the grief process. And I'm like, I don't want to see anyone. This is terrible. And, and my friend was like, you know, I'm just, I love you though, please, please. And so I was like, yeah. And so we went out there and did um, nothing you would typically expect from, <laughs> from, uh, I guess, like, Las Vegas, we played a ton of board games. It was really awesome. <laughs> that's, that's all we did. <laughs> played board games. And it was it was supremely awesome. But you know, in forcing myself to go out there, uh, of course, I found everything that I needed, which was, you know, friendship, support, love. And as I was driving back, I the the trip to Las Vegas from LA was so easy. And then when I was driving back, it was packed like hours and hours um everyone was leaving so i decided instead of taking the main road it would have taken just as much time to take an off road and and go south and then um try another path and so i took this left and before i knew it i was on a dirt road alone in my car uh, after the longest summer of my life um with mountains all around me in this massive valley and these constant banks like we would I would drive around and there it would see it would seem like I could see forever and um and slowly one by one all of these yucca trees start popping up everywhere I believe they're yucca trees I could be totally wrong but it was so otherworldly and all of a sudden I just heard like you know I felt like I was in this lone canyon and if I shouted across it, I would hear all these echoes. And so that was the very first thing that came to me was like so much to see and to seek and then it being like echoes across across that valley. And so, yeah. And then I, I wrote it I uh, and I felt like I'd finally, you know, in this very, very early stage of uh, the grief process, I felt like I had overcome a huge wave and I had finally allowed myself to look forward. And that's, yeah. All right. So, live life to the max. Okay. Well, we are now going to listen to So Much to Seek here performed by the Oregon Repertory Singers, again, conducted by Ethan Sperry.
So Matt, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? Um, so I've been writing nonstop since, uh, since, um, since finishing the doctorate or like the doctoral coursework, you know, Uh in in finishing, uh, uh, comprehensive exams, I feel this level of freedom that I've never felt before. Mm. Um, and it's so unstructured. I'm still trying to get used to it, but I've found myself hungry to write. I spent over a year. Um, it had been over a year since I had written any choral piece because throughout my last year, I took composition lessons as part of my, my minor. Um, and we were doing instrumental because um, okay. that's where I stood to grow. And it was the one B that I got. <laughs> 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 like, <my> <laughs> we'll keep <laughs> that like, secret. <laughs> composition. I'm just, I'm laughing at myself. I'm like, of course, of course it would be. I, think, I just think it's hilarious. But um, anyways, after that long time away from what I really love to write, which is choral music almost exclusively, I, uh, I came back and my, my little brother commissioned me to write uh, a love song for his girlfriend. They were approaching oh, nice. their first anniversary. Uh, he, like me, and I guess all hazard, all of us, all three of us hazard boys, didn't find love until like 28, 29. And uh-huh. it's like hole in one. It's just like a hole in one waiting throughout. <laughs> like for that takes three decades to like, you know, make that first swing. And um, and uh, he wanted something that sounded like warm coffee on a Sunday morning, and uh, <laughs> and and made something that made him feel uh, the way that um, anytime that his girlfriend looks up at him, and that's like it's so new to him, just like it was yeah. so new to me, um, and that that kind of electric feeling of like, you must be protected. You're the most precious person on the planet. And I love you just like from them being adorable. And so um, I looked across John's poems because uh, I immediately had one in mind. John had written these these poems for the pandemic uh, or during the pandemic. I, he calls it the Polaroids from the pandemic. And so the very first poem is uh, him waking up before I have and him describing, um, you know, light coming from the window and me being shrouded in white sheets. Mm. And it's really a testament to love. And so it's, it's called love poetry. And right now, John is working with it um, with his uh, university choir at, um, at the Bob Cole Conservatory. And so that's getting ready to be performed. Um, and at the same time, I just finished, like within a week, I finished um, a setting of, of Salve Regina, which is unusual because I don't really set sacred texts often, but <laughs> I was like, I must write. And this text is so dramatic and intense and like, ah, and so I have to. And so I, I did. And now I'm already moving on. I was actually uh, uh, just, just today, I was looking at texts from John because uh, you can tell I adore his text and I just yeah. feel like so much of what he writes speaks to my soul. Like it, 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 it uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Well, if John wrote it, then it would have been said perfectly. He, <laughs> his text expresses my soul. Um, so I've, I've been looking at that and that's another like kind of like mixture of a waves echoes piece. Sure. Um, yeah. So lots, lots. Awesome. Well, you want to plug your website real quick, but people know where to find you. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at lionhazard.com. Uh, that's L Y O N H A Z Z A R D.com. All right. Are you on social media as well? I am, uh, Matthew Lion Hazard <laughs> on the, right. on the Facebook. And I think I'm on Instagram too, but I'm really terrible. with social media. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, listeners out there, as we are nearing the end of season five, take a moment and click the button to become a supporting listener of Movable Dough. For less than $12 a year, that's less than a dollar a month, you can help me keep the music moving. There's a link in the show notes, or you can visit anchor.fm slash movable dough and click where it says support. Will Matthew Hazard, it's been a pleasure to get to know how your mind works and, and talk with you today. Thank you for joining me for Movable Dough. Thank you so much for having me. My guest today was composer and soon-to-be doctor Matthew Lyon Hazard. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. 
This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.